Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm sitting here with an old friend in uh, more ways than one, and he has been wandering across country in his trailer with his wife, camping out, and they've ended up at the moment near Baltimore, where we are having a Free Grace Alliance conference. And Gary's been coming to these conferences a long time, but we go way back to seminary days, and we've uh, done some fishing together and um, skiing together, spoken at his church. Um, so we have a long history together, but I've always been fascinated by his testimony, and you will be too. So we're glad you can join us for another Grace Stories. And um, we're talking today to Gary McNally. His wife, Janine, is here, but not in the room. And we will mention her later because she has a wonderful ministry going on right now as well. But I guess you call yourself officially retired, Gary? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, as I tell my uh, fellow pastor friends, I've gone from being a fisher of men to a fisher of fish. So, yeah, uh, kind of kind of retired and uh, living down in Florida now, as you know. Just, yeah. just built a house down there. Yeah, and thanks for building my guest room into it. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you just had two grandbaby twins. Yes, yes. Just uh, our first grandchildren, our, our oldest daughter, Hannah, just uh, this past February gave birth to twin boys, Hunter and Grayson. And uh, they're doing great. And we're uh, finding out how much fun it can be to be grandparents. And in the background, you hear his dog, Tucker, who is uh, prancing around and shaking himself. So we, we just do things informally here. And, we, you know, Gary has a wonderful testimony. It goes back uh, to where he grew up in New Jersey, right? Yeah. New Jersey. So tell us about growing up in New Jersey. What was that like? Because you've pastored in other places, which we'll get to, but uh, you started out there. Yeah. Um, I grew up... <clears throat> initially right across and was born right across the river from philadelphia i could uh stand on the roof of the house that i grew up in which was a flat one i don't get on roofs that aren't flat <laughs> and uh and see the philadelphia skyline but uh, the year i was born uh, my folks bought a little cottage uh down the shore the jersey shore and um we would go down every weekend and uh all summer long my dad would uh, my dad was a machinist and toolmaker at RCA uh, in Camden, and he would commute from the shore back and forth all summer, every day. And uh, those were, growing up as a kid, those were wonderful times for me because I loved to fish. And uh, I never had a job when I was a kid. I, I clammed, I trapped live bait and sold it, uh, and <laughs> made my living off the water. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. But then, uh, after my after junior high, my dad got laid off at RCA uh, permanently after uh, almost 30 years of service, and we moved to the shore full time. And he started a plumbing business, and that's what he did for the rest of his life. And uh, and I got to I got to spend all my time in my my favorite place, uh, Southern Ocean County. <laughs> You know, your favorite place wasn't under a toilet helping you with your father. No, plumbing. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a, that's not bad to grow up near the water and uh, do all that fishing and so forth. 
Uh, you've always loved the water. You love boats too. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a uh, in the 1980s. I had a charter business for 10 years, not for fishing, but for ocean scuba diving. I would take scuba divers out in the ocean, and uh, that was kind of my second job for for about 10 years. Um, and just another great part of uh, growing up in Southern Ocean County. So. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your family dynamic. Um, you had brothers, I know, yeah. and um, and then were your parents religious, and how did that influence you? Uh, I had three brothers. I'm the third born uh, of four boys, and um, uh, my parents, uh, we grew up Roman Catholic, and I uh, went to Catholic school until, until almost until we moved to the shore. Um, permanently uh, and yeah and I was uh, uh, my parents weren't what you would call particularly inclined spiritually and they weren't particularly religious um, but as a kid I guess I always wanted to know God better and I uh, I was kind of um, always on a quest to know him and, and want to know him better but he seemed uh, I think it's probably one of the reasons that Martin Luther is my spiritual hero because uh, I always had a thirst for it, but I always felt like he was far away, you know. Mm. So uh, then what what happened was um, in my early twenties, uh, I started uh, the Catholic church that I attended at the shore uh, had a Saturday night guitar mass, um, and there were several musicians that were really talented, um, and I used to sing a little bit, so they asked me to sing with them, and. Uh, and some of them, unknown to me when I first started going there, uh, some of them were going uh, to a, a church plant of a Baptist church that had started in our little town. They'd go to the Saturday night guitar mass, and then Sunday morning they'd go to the Baptist church. Um, and several of them had come to faith. And, uh, and I could sense there was something different about them, and I, I was interested. Uh, and several of the ladies that were in that group uh, ended up, uh, two ladies in particular, ended up being the ones that actually led me to the Lord. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I'm thankful in a way for my Catholic upbringing because I, I felt like it helped to move me uh, closer in my in my quest. Yeah, at least you got you thinking spiritually. And when you say these two ladies um, led you to the Lord, I mean, how did that happen exactly? Yeah, they uh, they were... A couple of things happened simultaneously. They were telling me uh, repeatedly that uh, eternal life uh, was a free gift. And at first I was like, what? You know, how, how can that be? That doesn't, <laughs> that just doesn't compute. Um, but it, it, it reminded me of something that had happened a couple of years before. When I graduated high school, uh, the first summer after I graduated high school, uh, I was working on a garbage truck as a summer job. And... Uh, in the town where I grew up, and I, we came to this one house. I I could take you right to it today because I know my my old hometown very well. Uh, these this couple would always have these magazines wrapped in a perfect stack, and uh, along with their newspapers. So uh, I tossed the magazines. Well, I picked up this stack of magazines, and I just happened to look at the one on top, and it said on the front cover of it, "Eternal life is a free gift," mm. and I was like, "What?" So I, I, I ripped that out of the package and threw the rest in, and I started reading this article. Um, 
it was by a guy named Billy Graham. <laughs> and and uh, I had, believe it or not, at that point at 18, I don't think I had ever heard of him. I can't remember for sure, but I don't think I had. And uh, so I'm reading this article and it basically laid out all the reasons, including the relevant scripture verses for why eternal life was a free gift. And what I remember distinctly, other than uh, my buddy that I graduated high school with and he was working on the back of the truck with me, he's looking over at me and he goes, hey, am I the only one getting paid here? You know, because <laughs> I was letting him pick up all the cans. I was busy reading this article and um, so I'm reading it. And all I remember distinctly was when I closed the magazine, I remember thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was true? Wouldn't it? Because for the first time, it didn't seem, uh, you know, like a crazy idea to me. It seemed, I, I was like enthralled by the idea. And I think having read the scripture verses really, uh, really made me think deeper about it. Well, when you thought about your future or if you died, I know you don't think about that when you're younger. What kind of thoughts did you have or feelings did you have? Uh, what was your attitude towards that? Because you say you, that would be nice if it was true. But when you faced that the, what you thought was the reality, how was your outlook? Uh, I don't know that I thought of it directly in terms of heaven or hell, uh, but I was a fearful kid from the time I was little. I always struggled with stress. Um, we, the grade school that I attended in, in Camden, we lived in a suburb of Camden called Kramer Hill, um, was right up the street from my house, but I wouldn't walk it. My mother had to drive me because I was convinced I would be kidnapped if mm -hmm. I walked on my, I was- Today you would be right. Yeah, yeah. I was just a fearful kid. Um, I always laugh every Christmas and my kids laugh when they point me to it, but uh, Charlie Brown Christmas when it comes on and, and Charlie goes up to Lucy, she's got her psychiatrist office going and uh, she, and she says, uh, do you have the fear of this, that? And she finally, he's like, no, 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 no. Finally, uh, I think it's hypogeum. Do you have hypogeum phobia? He goes, what's that? She goes, the fear of everything. He goes, that's it. <laughs> well, that was kind of me. And uh, so what I would say is, is that I, I wanted to know God in part because I really, uh, I really didn't want to live in fear continually. And, and I had, you know, as a kid. Uh, you hear people say, especially on war documentaries, it's a terrible thing to live in fear. And it is. It is. Um, so anyway, uh, I read that magazine and that whet my appetite. Um, and then those ladies started sharing with me a year or so later. And so uh, finally, I got up the nerve with them to go on Sunday morning to the Baptist church once. And I, I still remember the first time I went, the pastor was preaching on uh, Moses' psalm. Psalm, Psalm 90, and, uh, and when he finished, it was expositional, it was excellently done, and when he finished, I looked at Pe Peg, the gal that had brought me there, and I said, this is what I've been looking for, Peg. <laughs> this is what I've been looking for. Um, but I still, this, the free gift thing, I, I, was, I think part of me was suspecting that there was still something off with that too good to be true exactly yeah yeah too good to be true and um uh, i don't know how complete to make this do we have time yeah okay <laughs> I, uh, we can always cut you out if you yeah. stay too long <laughs> <laughs> what something ironic happened at that point that exact magazine that i told you i picked out 
uh, I kept it. I was driving. I had a 63 Ford Econoline. I don't know if you remember that, but the, yeah. we, the steering wheel would come right up through the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That was what I was driving in those days. And I, I left the magazine uh, in my van. So a uh, guy, uh, the township had docks. And I had a, a, a boat, of course. I always had a boat. And my boat was parked at the township dock. And this guy who lived real close to me, uh, was part, his boat was right next to mine. And... Uh, he was an avid hunter and fisherman, so we were friendly. Uh, but I knew that he was what what kids in those days referred to as a holy roller. And, uh, you know, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't hang around with folks that do. And I knew he was like that. Um, and so I always was kind of guarded somewhat, you know. Well, <laughs> I come in from fishing this one night, and I had gotten into a bunch of bluefish offshore. And I had a, I had a big cooler full of bluefish. And uh, and I had to I had to gut them all and clean them. And while I was doing that and getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, I remember he pulls up just to check on his boat. Now it's it's almost dark, not quite completely dark, but almost dark. And uh, I'm just finishing up. I'm on my boat. He gets out of his car and he walks up and he's talking to me. I, I say, Hey, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how are you? And um, he leans into my van and looks in and there. And I realized that I had left that magazine right on the front seat. And he leans in and he grabs the magazine and he goes, Billy Graham, Decision Magazine. He goes, where did you get this, Gary? I'm like, oh, no. You know, this is gonna be... <laughs> and long story short, what happened was, and again, he's a real well-meaning guy, uh, but I guess he came from a very legalistic background. And he said, uh, no, he goes, this is great that you're reading. Because I told him I'd read the article and it was interesting. And he said, this is great that you're reading it, man. He goes, I pray for you. You know, I probably should tell you more that I pray for you a lot. And I said, I appreciate that. Thanks. And he said, yeah. And now especially he goes, because I I know you're on the road to hell. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I saw you riding a motorcycle. He said, and I I saw your motorcycle parked in front of Duffy's Bar. And it's a local watering hole where we would often go for lunchtime. Uh, They made these monster hamburgers and we would go there and on lunchtime a lot of days and have a hamburger and a beer and I said well you knew I was on the road to hell because I was riding a motorcycle and because it was parked in front of the he goes oh yeah yeah and that led to a discussion about legalism and and some other things and I I just remember getting really sort of indignant and I said well if having riding a motorcycle and having a beer is going to send me to hell then I'll just I think I'll just go and he realized, I think, at that point that he was not winning points with me. But kind yeah. of, so the conversation kind of ended. But unfortunately, what it, what it did for me, it made me, I was on the verge. I, I often wonder why, why the Lord does things the way he does in, in his sovereignty. But because uh, part of me feels like if the right person, if I come into contact with the right person at that point, I could have come to faith in a heartbeat. Um, hmm. But his, what he told me actually turned me the other way. And I started thinking, it is a bunch of garbage. You know, it's not free. I can't, you know, this, or I was at least torn. I thought if it is free, then what's this guy talking about? Because he's supposed to be a born again guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, <clears throat> that happened, I'm just going to say, uh, roughly when I was uh, 22 or 23. <clears throat> and for the next three or four years, um, he, I guess he was kind of right. I was on the road to hell and. And then I was working at it. I was, I was, I was doing a lot of things that a lot of young guys do in their twenties. And um, 
I had learned to manage fears a little better. Things didn't worry me as much as they used to. And, uh, but then again, uh, and I guess this is why, theologically, why I've never had a problem with irresistible grace, because I could sense, uh, as you've heard it referred to, the hound of heaven uh, never quite left me alone. It was always there. And I was always thinking about it and considering. Um, yeah, maybe it was because that guy didn't give up praying for you. Yeah, or that too. <laughs> yeah, you never know who's praying for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, those gals uh, from the guitar mess, uh, I kept going to that. And I would go about, you know, maybe once a quarter, three or four times a year, I'd go to that Baptist church. Um, and then things picked up again spiritually. I, I guess I realized that... Um, I kind of knew that I wasn't living the way I should, uh, even just as a Catholic. I mean, I'm, I wasn't a believer at that point, but uh, I'm just living, <laughs> doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And I knew it, and I felt guilty about it. Um, so in the meantime, uh, my brother and a few friends had moved to Florida, and I flew uh, from Jersey down to Florida uh, for a week of fishing and to catch up with a few friends. Uh, this was in 1980. And um, <clears throat> so I was 26. And a couple of friends in Jersey, including the one of the gals from the guitar mass, gave me a Bible before I, before I flew down there. And I had been reading it off and on. So I get off the plane, in, it lands in Orlando. I get off the, it was Eastern Airlines, that's how long ago it was. Wow. I get off the plane and there's a, the guy, the pilot, you know how they stand at the door and they kind of greet you as you're getting off. I got off the plane and I just happened to notice that he had the fish, the ichthus fish, for a tie tack mm. on his tie. And um, so I get off the plane, I go inside, and uh, I decide I'm going to grab lunch. I walk into this place, I still remember the name of it in the, in the airport, it's called the Skyline Lounge in Orlando. And I go in there and I sit down, order a, a, a big burger, and somebody comes in, sits right next to me at the bar, and I look over and it's the guy. This is the pilot. So I'm sitting there for a minute, and I, it, it, I just had this sense that I had to ask him. I didn't really want to, but I said, I finally know where I said, excuse me, did you just fly the plane down from Philadelphia? He goes, yeah, yeah, were you on there? I said, yeah, I was. He goes, oh, wow. He goes, that's that's great, you know? And and I looked at his tie tack, and I said, could I ask you a question? Are, are, are you a born-again Christian? And he goes, yeah, I am. Are you? And I, I never forget what I said to him. I said, no, uh, but I think I'm going to be. <laughs> and, you predicted your own birth. Yeah. And he's, so he goes on for the next 15 minutes uh, telling me how he was a fighter pilot in Vietnam, uh, that he and his wife had actually split up before he went over there. But uh, he came to the faith while he was in Vietnam, comes back, uh, ends up talking to his wife, finds out she has come to faith. Um, and they get back together. Wow. <laughs> and he said, we have, I forget if it was two, three kids, but they had kids. And he said, we're, you know, we're happily married. He goes, but we wouldn't be married at all. And none of it would have been possible if it wasn't for, for the Lord. He said, don't let anything keep you away from Jesus. He goes, I got to go turn that plane around and go back. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I walk out of there and I'm thinking, oh, and so he says to me, um, he hands me a, a New Testament. He goes, here, I keep this with me. He goes, but you keep that. So he hands me a Bible, right? So <clears throat> I walk away. I, I go down and rent a car. 
and I had already made a reservation at a Days Inn right on McCoy Road, which is, uh, it's still there, but it used to be the main thoroughfare kind of for Orlando Airport. So I drive down McCoy Road in my rental car and pull into the Days Inn. I check in and I go, walk into my room and there on the nightstand between the beds is a paperback Good News Bible and the blurb on the front of it says, keep this as a gift from Days Inn. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, geez, Peg gives me a Bible before I leave Jersey. The pilot who doesn't even know me gives me a Bible. Now the motel has given me a Bible. <laughs> and I sat down and again in the, I think in the sovereignty of God, I just opened it up and I started reading. And I didn't know pretty much one book of the Bible from another. But I started reading in Romans chapter 14, which is about doubtful things, eating meat and drinking wine, right? And my friend had told me I was on the road to hell because I was riding a motorcycle and drinking beer. And so <laughs> uh, I'm reading Romans 14, and I'll never forget the last, the last verse in, in the Good News Translation. Good News Translation, I think it was Good News, um, or Living Bible, whichever it was. But anyway, it says, keep what you believe about these matters then between yourself and God. Happy is the man who does not feel condemned when he does in his heart what he knows is right. Mm. And, and I'm sitting there now and I, I, I kept reading, but uh, I kind of had to hold the Bible away from me because I was, I was bawling, I was crying. I was soaking this little paperback Bible with tears. And <clears throat> I don't know how long I sat there. It could have been a couple hours. But uh, I was an avid jogger back then. I, I put my running shoes on and I went out the door of the motel and ran down McCoy Road back toward the airport. And I still remember running and the jets coming in for a landing, like probably only a couple hundred feet over my head. And I, w I had this feeling of like euphoria. I felt like I was running like a foot or two feet off the ground. <laughs> and long story short, I go back to Jersey a week later and I end up going with the same gal from the guitar mass, Peg. I end up going, uh, there was a special event uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. His first name was Tony. He was a he was a tenor, a very excellent singer, uh, and an evangelist. So he gives this gospel presentation, and uh, and then gives an invitation at the end. And my friend Peg looks over at me. She says, "Gary, you've been close for a long time." She goes, "I'll walk up with you if you want to go up." And I said, "You know what? I would, Peg, but I think I'm already a Christian." And she she goes to me, "When did this happen?" I said, "That's what I was just trying to." figure out. I said, I think it happened a week ago in Orlando in a hotel room. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of the beginning for me. Yeah. So. so you never did walk up front? <laughs> never did. Never, as I lovingly tell people, never got out of my seat, never raised my hand, didn't walk forward, <laughs> didn't do any of that stuff. I just believed in my heart. Amen. So you, you got saved and didn't go forward. Um, nothing wrong with with that practice if it's used right of course but yes. uh, we don't we don't have to do anything to be saved by god's grace <clears throat> so then your christian new life began and what direction to take off did you change churches go to that church uh yeah it's um i hesitate to even mention this part because not everybody gets it but for whatever reasons um, god does what he does i i had a almost a euphoria that lasted months like i was like why isn't everybody in the world a Christian? What What is wrong with people? Can't you see this? This is so simple and so clear, you know? <clears throat> and, uh, and it resulted in me, um, yeah, I did. Well, it's really funny. I guess uh, part of 
the way you grow up is it's difficult to leave anything. And, and I'm very much a, a traditional kind of guy, you know, family, uh, friends. And I, well, I found it hard to leave the church that I'd kind of grown up in. And I remember going one Saturday night and there was a guest, a priest in from Philadelphia who spoke and he openly, uh, I think in part reaction, this guitar mass had really grown and a lot of people were coming to it and people were even coming to personal faith in Christ because of it. And I don't know whether he uh, took offense to it or whatever, but he basically went on a diatribe about, um, he's tired of hearing all this nonsense about uh, eternal life being free and you don't have to do anything. Uh, he started laying out, yes, you do have to work and you have to do this work and that work and you have to be uh, baptized and you have to be confirmed and you have to receive Holy Communion and you can't get to heaven. And you, unless you do all those things, you can't get to heaven, you know? And I'm tired of it. And I, I remember leaving there so angry that I, I felt free for the first time to say, you know what, I'm not going back. And I never did, and I started going to that little Baptist church full time. <laughs> you felt free. That's an interesting phrase, because I'm going to be speaking a message about free. Um, and one of, the, one of the phrases I've heard is that um, God makes birds, men make bird cages. So he had a system that kept you in a cage, but you realized that you would discover the truth that set you free. Yes. So... So you did go to a different church, and you ended up going to uh, get some education also, theological education. Yeah, I, uh, it took me after that conversion. It still took me, believe it or not, three years to uh, make the decision to be baptized. Um, and I was kind of, I, I was on, in one hand on fire uh, for the Lord, but um, in another way reluctant to leave the past completely behind. Um, doing a lot of procrastinating, I guess. But uh, within, my, within uh, a couple months of my conversion, I read through the entire New Testament multiple times. Um, and I was highlighting all the verses that, to me, contradicted the idea that it is a free gift. <clears throat> you can imagine I underlined multiple verses in the Gospels. Uh, I underlined, of course, James chapter 2, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and it took me years before I ever got answers to some of those things. Uh, but when I finally did, uh, the Lord brought a, a Dallas Seminary grad, interestingly enough, into my life, uh, who ended up being my mentor and my friend. Uh, his name is Reagan Benedict. You know Reagan. You remember Reagan. Mm -hmm. He's with yeah, the Lord now. Um, but Reagan made those verses clear to me. I had answers for the first time. And at that time, I decided, you know what, I got to get better at this being a Christian or give it up. And I knew I wasn't giving it up now, so I got baptized. And within a, I would say within a month of my baptism, I knew the Lord wanted to use me vocationally in some way. Um, that was at 30, and it was just uh, a few years later, at, um, at like 32, that I started uh, attending Dallas Seminary. The, the, at that time, it was the extension in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, I went on, uh, came down to the seminary in Dallas a couple times for short-term stuff um, and for the, uh, the free grace conferences <laughs> and, uh, and was in the library one day and I met this cute girl. Uh, Does your wife know about that? Uh, yeah, I'm, that's, that's who it is. <laughs> I met this cute girl in the library and uh, she was an Australian and I ended up marrying her and uh, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary. We have three kids. 
all kind of grown and on their own now. And uh, so we graduated Dallas together in 95. Um, and I didn't feel called at that point because at that point I'm, I'm 40, you know, and maybe 42, 41. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel, and Dallas didn't offer the MDiv, they only had the THM, and I didn't feel like I wanted to do, I'd finished the MA program, uh, so I had 60 credits. I didn't feel like I wanted to do two more years of language. Um, I was doing a ton of study on my own. And uh, so anyway, I transferred all my Dallas credits. Earl Rodmacher had also become a mentor at that point. And I transferred all those Dallas credits to Western Seminary in Portland, and uh, I quit my ended my career in road construction and we moved sold everything and moved to portland oregon and i spent uh a year finishing my my master of divinity and then we came back to jersey and planted a church well that's the great the rest <laughs> is history well there's a lot in between there but so you married a wonderful person janine and actually we uh did a podcast with janine a couple of years about a couple of years ago talked about her ministry which we'll mention in a minute here but uh tell us about the churches that you started and planted and um and pastored yeah we uh moved back to jersey and just 20 miles south of where i grew up in in southern ocean county uh we planted pinelands community church um not a <clears throat> not a planting method that i would recommend we we did a catalytic church plant we just moved into town and i started knocking on doors and we started a bible study in our home and uh and gradually gathered a, a crowd and then started a regular sunday morning service and we were there almost 10 years um uh, when we left it was it was going going really well we we had purchased uh about eight acres of property for a building um and had already cleared that property. Uh, and at that point, though, we had, as a church planner, you um, you put in ridiculous hours. Uh, well, I think most pastors do, but I think in church planning, you especially do. Um, and between Janine and I, we were we were probably putting in 100 hours a week between the two of us, and we had two little kids. And when they're real little, and our kids were real little then, they were only like four and five when we started uh, in the late 90s. And... Um, when they're that age, you can kind of get away with it. <clears throat> but by the time we had been there eight years or so, now they're uh, they're like you know eleven and twelve or twelve and thirteen, and you suddenly realize that uh, you you need to make more time for them. And and plus the fact that the church uh, I felt obligated to provide a church uh, environment where they would have uh, exposure to a, a a good, a really healthy and and vital youth ministry, which we hadn't gotten really going at that point um, so I ended up going to a larger church out in Pennsylvania uh, I was there for five and a half years um, and then uh, I think ministry just kind of finished me off and uh, <laughs> I knew I was done as a pastor we moved out to Colorado uh, for eight years and I uh, I did uh, have a chance to speak and minister in the church that we attended out there um, but yeah now just enjoying retirement yeah, coincidentally, you always seem you always seem to take a church or be in a location where you can go skiing, Some snow skiing. Gary's Gary was a ski real ski bum. You'd ski how many days a year? Oh, fifty or so. So now that you've moved to Florida, how's that going? <laughs> yeah. Well, this will be the first full winter uh, since we moved to Florida, uh, and I'll uh, I'll go up to the Northeast for probably for a week. 
uh, our kids ended up when, when we were at um, Pinelands, when we were uh, living and ministering in New Jersey, we used to go up to the Adirondacks in upstate New York a lot. And uh, our kids kind of grew up skiing at Gore Mountain up there. And um, so I'll go up there probably, ski a little bit. And then I'll, I'm sure because our oldest son, Jonathan, is uh, he's still out in Colorado. So I'll go out and visit him for a week or so. And, and I'll, of course, I'll have to ski while I'm there. So, <laughs> so Gary, you've had a, a, a very interesting life, very interesting testimony. And then uh, you meet your wife at seminary and uh, get to go to Western Seminary and be uh, mentored by Earl Rodmacher, a friend of ours, yep. and all that's, that's very good. And uh, you, you had a good ministry as pastor as well, and um, and you and I have been able to spend some time together, Gary and I, and we brought our sons up to Africa, and Africa, <laughs> Alaska. Alaska. We brought them to Alaska and did some fishing, and you actually, we you are in a chapter of my book on fishing for life. Yes. And uh, you'll have to read the book to see who caught the bigger fish. <laughs> so maybe we'll do that again. Um, and uh, so now you get to fish a lot because you're in Florida. And um, Janine has joined with Grace School of Theology to work on her D men in children's or children's admin they call it but it's children's ministry administration and uh, she's been very good at that at the church in colorado Mm -hmm. and uh she's she's written a book a start of the ministry can you just tell us briefly about that even though she told us on our previous podcast let's remind people about that yeah uh, janine's had a, a a great uh ministry with the youth out in colorado and uh moving to florida now she started grace for kids and actually just published uh, a book, her first book. Uh, it's called When You See Fireflies. And uh, yeah, proud of her. She's doing an amazing work. Um, and she's also teaching at GSOT, as you as you know, Charlie, mm-hmm. uh, as an adjunct and enjoying that. So, And I think she's already got uh, all of her ideas plugged in to write a follow-up to When You See Fireflies. And I, fireflies. And I think our daughter, Hannah, is going to join her in the effort. Wow. So... It's an excellent book for people who are in children's ministry, talking about Gen X, the younger kids, and um, Alpha, Gen Alpha. Yeah, Gen X is the older kids. They keep getting younger, Generation Alpha. So uh, it's a very great book to give you insights about that. And uh, she's a hard worker, so Gary's now more, you're more in a support ministry, driving her around, supporting exactly. her at the conferences and yep. things like that. So you're, I'm you've got, you're yeah. still doing ministry, you're just not getting paid for it. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, I'm sure there are uh, people listening today who can re- relate to your fear growing up or relate to your uh, insecurity about eternal life and, and the thinking that eternal life might be too good to be true. Uh, what would you have to say to them just as we close here? Um, it really is free. It really is free, and uh, there, there are so many, unfortunately, so many uh, voices out there that you can hear which will uh, either try to add works by the front door or works by the back door, um, but it really is free in spite of all the man-made error that's out there. And the good thing is the Lord does work. The Lord continues to work, and sometime, uh, and Charlie, you know this, you know, in all the years you've been in ministry and pastoral ministry, is that sometimes He works even through the fog, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always felt like our job as pastors, and that's one of the reasons it's been great to be 
uh, involved uh, with the free grace movement uh, as pastors is to keep the message uh, as simple, free, and clear as we can. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we all know the old saying that a, a mist in the pew or mist in the pulpit can be a fog in the pew, and so our I think our job is to get the fog out of there, and uh, and just <laughs> and just change, keep that free. Amen. Well, I know you've been an advocate for the gospel of grace throughout your ministry. Yes. And that now Janine is, and she's spreading that message through her ministry with your help. So we appreciate your time today, Gary. It's been good to have this friendship and uh, uh, partnership in ministry through the years. We've been able to do some things together, and uh, including organizing a trip to Israel for Grace Life Friends, which we may now have to cancel because at this particular time, Israel just started war declared war yesterday so that trip is looks like it's in limbo and looks like it might be canceled but that's another story so gary thanks a lot for being with us thank you guys thank you charlie pleasure and thank you for listening and if you like this podcast and i hope how could you not like this podcast just just give us a like give us a comment give us a thumbs up say something get in touch with us we'd be happy to hear from you and then share it with others who need to hear this story that gary just told So until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.